Hey, Peter. Hey, do you believe in unicorns? I believe in princess unicorns. I'm Adam Manis. And I'm Peter Martin. And you're listening to the You'll Hear It podcast. Music advice coming at you. Coming at you today. We are sponsored by Open Studio. Go to openstudiojazz.com for all your jazz, all your jazz lesson needs. Peter, mm. I'm so excited uh, about today's episode. Uh, you know, it's called Unicorn Pockets. Do you have any idea about what I'm about to hit you with? With Unicorn I have Pockets? absolutely no idea. <laughs> so, but did you catch my office reference in the intro? I did, and but it took some explaining, actually. Some explaining. Some explaining. Some the, dad explaining. <laughs> as, as the music was playing of what what the hell you were talking about. But I it fully admit that the, the title I gave this, uh, Unicorn Pockets, needs some explaining. So here's the deal with today's episode, folks. I was listening, well, we've been listening to a bunch of different players on our Tuesday night sessions live on YouTube. By the way, if you want to check that out, that's 8 p.m. every Tuesday night on YouTube. We've been going live this whole time during the yes. lockdown, uh, listening to, to different records. We were listening to a record by Chick Corea the other night. Mm. Ever I, heard of him? Ever heard of him. And I thought of all the time feels that, that, were, that have been so influential in music in my life. Mm. Chick Corea is certainly being one of them. But people who came along... And their sense of groove, their sense of time, the way they put the notes, even if it's notes that other people are playing, but the way they do them changed the game. Mm. So I have a list here of players um, from the- Players or players? Players. I have okay. one from the 40s, one from the 50s, one from the 60s, one from the 70s, one from the 80s, one from the 90s, one from the 2000s, and then one from the 2010s. Okay. Uh, Nobody from the twenty from the twenties. Not well. Not this twenty. We we just started that. We're still in. We're still in the <laughs> middle of it. But we could we could put some nominations in at the end if we yeah. wanted to. But so the idea with this is that each one of these players totally changed the game with their pocket. They're unicorns okay. with their pockets. They're so special. They're so rare. They changed how the music feels. Here's the cool thing about. I, as I was putting this to, this playlist together on Spotify, which, by the way, we'll put a link here to the Spotify playlist. If you want to listen to all of these tracks more and listen to them in full, go to that Spotify playlist. But as I was putting it together, I realized that some people, when they hear these, might be like, oh, yeah, well, that just sounds like jazz of that era. Well, for a reason. Yeah. Because this person made jazz sound like this yeah. in, in that time frame. Yep. So I thought... I was you, just. You have well, a question? Well, <laughs> excuse me, sir. Can yeah, I raise yeah, my yeah. hand? No, go ahead, go ahead. Uh, no, I was just saying. Do we want to? Do you? Maybe you could just sort of break down what you mean by pocket briefly for those. Oh that are, yeah, yeah. Good, good call. So, yeah. a pocket is where you place the groove and the time, and it's very personal. So you might say that person is in the pocket, and that means that they're they're playing the rhythm and they're playing the groove in a way that feels very good that it could be a, a meaning of good but everybody also has a unique pocket right so everybody has their own pocket yeah. where they put the groove where they fit into the time and all of these players on our unicorn pockets list have unicorn pockets they right. have such a special sense of Sounds time painful it does <laughs> they have you should see the image on the spotify playlist it's a unicorn in a pocket i don't know who made it but there's many options when Google i googled images man. when i googled easy. unicorn pockets there were way too many options but unicorn pocket i thought was a fun way to just express this idea it. that every so often a person comes along with such a unique and awesome way to play music that even when some of these people are doing 
things that everybody else was doing around them. But the way they did it was so influential that now everyone after them can't help but be influenced by the, the unicorn pocket. So well, you know what's so cool about it too? Unicorn pocket, it's very similar sounding to uniform pocket, which is actually the opposite <laughs> of, you know what I'm saying? Yeah. Because I think that that's the beginning. Like you learn how to play in, in a uniform pocket for a certain group, which is fine. And like beginner level, yeah. it's better to, to have some pocket and be kind of uniform or generic kind of pocket. But yeah. what I think that you're referring to and what the unicorn pocket, look, I'm talking about it like it's been a phrase we've thrown around. You just told it to me seven minutes ago. It's going to catch on though. <laughs> All of our listeners, I want you to, to hashtag unicorn pocket when That's you hear right. someone you like. You hear Nate Smith play a drum groove, hashtag unicorn pocket. Right, right. But the but the place, the, the placement of the beat, as you said, uh, being a unique, almost like a thumbprint, like the DNA of where you place. Like, so this is not even yeah. a question of like, are you in the pocket? Do you have pocket? No, no, no. These, these are all yeah. folks that that's, that's not, but it's about what is your pocket? It's not a uniform pocket. It's a unicorn pocket. It's a unicorn pocket. pocket if we say it enough, I know it becomes gonna, a thing, man. I would, there's also another synonym, synonym. Pocket can also mean groove playing. Like you hear people say, oh, he's a pocket player. Right. Meaning that they play grooves. That's right? what I was thinking about at first. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It, which it, it definitely could mean that. I've always heard it used also in the sense of someone's sense of time or t sense of groove. Yeah. So I, it's ma great. Many meanings, but we're going we're gonna to use the term unicorn pocket from It's here also a thing attached to your pants that you put your pocket in. <laughs> That's what I'm right? saying, man. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to get, you'll hear it, jackets made up with unicorn pockets. You know what's funny? My, <laughs> my, my kids, uh, they, they think their grandmother, my mom, she uses some old fish she's not really old-fashioned as you know you've met rose before very modern woman but uh she uses some old fat she uses an old-fashioned term pocketbook pocketbook do you, do you, are you familiar great, with that i am that's a great term <laughs> oh where is my pocketbook it's a pocketbook it is a book in your pocket i guess i mean well, she's talking about like a purse i think i don't yeah. know pocketbook <laughs> or like a wallet it's yeah. fantastic fantastic so we're going to start off with the 40s here this track was recorded in 1949 although it was released in 1950 i'm going to still count this in the 40s it happened in the 40s come on now this player uh playa really defined what jazz rhythm would become in decades after his life and death uh i chose uh one of his more commercial recordings just because you can hear how his unicorn pocket rubs up against this commercial record. This is Charlie Parker from Charlie Parker with Strings. Mm. This is Just Friends, and I love the juxtaposition between this lush string arrangement and this very simple sort of head arrangement that the rhythm section does, and Bird laying his unicorn pocket, his sense of time, that is only him yeah. at this time, him and Dizzy, really. Yeah. Uh, but and would, Monk it, and Bud Powell. Would influence that whole, <laughs> but it's, yeah, hey, with all of these, there's yeah. going to be a lot of people they represent. <laughs> let's be honest right. here. But these are these are my faves anyway. So here's Just Friends, Charlie Parker. Mm.
cue the obtrusive strings. <laughs> <laughs> well, you hear what I'm saying, though. I think oh, this man. this example it, it perfectly illustrates what the theme of this episode is about. There's no doubt when that that horn comes in, who's playing it. It's such a signature sound, and it's so different than anything that came before him and it influenced everything that came after him there's no doubt i mean it's like you hear that's mitch miller on the oboe it's so obvious. oh no that's later on in the, the track actually sorry I mean, that's, a, that's, a, that's a unicorn goatee <laughs> but i think you know his and i mean i'm joking that that is some kind of obtrusive borderline it's really nice playing i mean the strings are killing it yeah but the the writing is a, a little thick it's I very think, for, thick but yeah. i mean you know uh, Charlie Parker's stylistic ability. of the time, though stylistic of the time for sure. But I think Charlie Parker's ability to to put his imprint, his rhythmic imprint, um, put that pocket in there is even more amazing because all that stuff happening. But it's just, I mean, those sixteenth notes that he starts with, that's that's like lays it down exactly. And then when he goes to holding the note, it's like it's like you've established the the pattern, the groove, the pocket already, so you can do whatever you want. And again, we all have been influenced by bebop, so it's like, yeah, that's what that's what. Bebop sounds like right, yeah, because yep. of Charlie Parker, cause exactly, because of that. And that I think genius I th- of rhythm that that he introduced, absolutely. And I think that uh, it's too overlooked when we analyze or possibly even overanalyze bebop and what it is, and start talking about harmony and like motivic motivic development and like how a melody, you know, enclosures and all this, all that's important. But that that rhythmic imprint that's what it's about if you can capture that hmm. 16th note shifting to that eighth note you know i mean it's just like you get that sound i think a, a great you know you know unicorn pocket since we're using that now is something that you can <laughs> sing you know because it's like such a strong statement so don't be fooled by like well i can sing like that charlie but no no because he laid it out so clearly for sure but try to come up with that try to come up with that <laughs> that's the thing that's the genius of it yeah. so speaking of the genius of it uh this i'm um, these next two players i'm not even going to tell you who they are peter i, I know you're going to guess who they are okay. and i want to see if you can guess so this next player speaking of genius his genius was in his simplicity and you talk about someone who when you hear him you think like oh well yeah that's just how that's just how the bass sounds. It's because of him and what he did in the 50s specifically here. Mm. Uh, this is, uh, well, I'll just say that the, the person here with the unicorn pocket is playing bass on this next track. <laughs> and we'll, we'll fill you in later. I want to see if Peter can guess this. One and three foot tapping going on. I love that. 
on top much? If you could see us right now, we both have the meanest oh, stank face very, going. Very, very stanky. Ugh. So, you got you to beat on this. So, this I don't know this recording. That's Ray Brown, though. It is yeah. Ray Brown. Yeah. Now, I did kind of, at first, I was like, OP. That first line he played, I thought was Oscar Pettiford. Oh. Uh, but then. I could see that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Then when he got into his thing. But, you know, big flu- influence. I mean, Ray Brown. Yeah, this is from Live at the Stratford Shakespeare Festival. One of my ah, favorite OP yeah. records, but I know kind of an, a lesser known one for you. I know. You know, it's funny. I had that LP in New Orleans, so we're going back 16 years ago. And I thought I, I mean, I definitely listened to it. I never delved into it deep enough, and yeah. I want to get back into it. Is that Herb Ellis? Herb Ellis. Yeah. This Herb, is okay. Noreen's Nocturne, one of my favorite things mm. that this trio did. And uh, I think what I love about this. be on the sesh coming up soon. We should do the Stratford. Yeah. It's so good. But uh, this one is so great because you get to hear Ray kind of take the melody in the beginning, and then when they go into that four feel, it just takes off. Oh, yeah. I mean, he, he's so far on the front of the beat, and it feels amazing that far on the it front really of the does. beat. It really does, and it's know? not rushing. I mean, it's, it, it is not it's like— It's just a leaning forward It's a leaning bit. forward, and it's—but and it's, you know what? His rhythmic imprint is already there even when he's playing— the lines in between and like his entrances and it's it's funny because with ray brown it's so easy to get kind of hypnotized by the incredible intonation and the left hand work yep. i mean and the right hand yeah. and, you know but there's a lot of like just pocket, pocket already man. before he even gets i mean so when he gets to the walk and it's kind of like charlie parker it's like they set it up you know and then they hit you with something better and then they just bam then they're just like right in there exactly it's just a kind of elegance in their approach and a confidence in their imprint that that makes them the, the pocket unicorns you, that they are you interviewed your friend gregory hutchinson a couple of years ago for your podcast the process with peter yes. martin you remember that that long that form was, podcast that was, that was a long form that was a good that, one though it was a good yeah, yeah and he talked about playing with ray brown and he said you you got to watch out because he'll just take it up he'll take <laughs> off on you like you right. and he'll go on the front of the foot but that's where that feel is man yeah. and that's and what unicorns do man. that's what unicorns <laughs> do but here's is another situation where it's just everybody after that is is copying a lot of what Ray Brown did here in the 50s specifically. Unicorns, let my horn pierce the sky. <laughs> and just a caveat to, of course, uh, you mentioned like this could be so many people, but uh, you know these these were just my picks. Um, there's a there's a, a few different unicorns for each you know era of these. Oh come on, man, you you got some good ones so far. There's no uh, no, 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 no reason no. to these, qualify. These are no my reason unicorns. to qualify. So I want to move on to the '60s here. This was there are a couple mm-hmm. of these decades that were really hard to narrow it down to who I thought deserved the. Yeah, I'm interested for to me. see '60s and '70s. So I'm not going to tell you who this is. You're going to get it right away. Okay. Uh, this was 1963, mm-hmm. and this was the drummer on this track. Uh, was the unicorn pocket. You ready? Elvin Jones. Oh, so, so, <laughs> so close. I'm just guessing. Oh. Tony. Yeah. 18-year-old Tony Williams. Ah. Uh. Again, watch out here. Uh-huh. 
Victor Feldman. This is Herbie. That's Herbie? Yeah. The Victor Feldman tune. Yeah. No, I know. I, wow. I didn't saw it. So interesting on this is that, you know, Tony, wow, what a, what a, I know, right? The the air in that sound is unbelievable. It was almost, you know, those, those eighth notes, those repeated eighth notes at the, once again, at the beginning, it's already there, you know, on the snare drum. Yeah. Um, He's so, I mean, he's so influenced at this point by uh, Philly Joe Jones. Like you can hear that yet. He's so original already, dude. He's 18 years old on this. He's his own player. So it's interesting that you said, is that Victor Feldman on piano? This is a lot of people might not know, but seven steps of the heaven had two bands on it. It's two different sessions. And it was the introduction of miles's second grade quintet, but only on three of the tracks. Right. And actually two of those tracks were Victor Feldman tracks, but he didn't play piano on them. Herbie played piano. Okay. They were Victor Feldman compositions, Seven Steps to Heaven and Joshua, which is great. By the way, we should do an episode all about Victor Feldman. Interesting dude. Yeah, yeah. And underrated musician. Talked with a funny accent, I I mean, he was a, yeah, but he was amazing. I was checking out some of his trio stuff, vibes and piano, incredible. Anyway, um, so yeah, so so the first, so four of the tracks, track one, three, uh, Basin Street Blues, I Fall in Love Too Easily, uh, mm. Baby Won't You Please Come Home. Those are all George Coleman, Victor Feldman, Ron Carter, and Frank Butler. And then Frank Seven Butler, Steps to... Right. I know, right? Seven Steps to Heaven. Uh, so, um, Herbie, Ron, Tony? Joshua. And one more, wait. Boom, boom. Bam, bam. Stack <laughs> <What laughs> <up>? on bang! <laughs> I'm messing this up. Yeah, I know. Seven Steps to Heaven, So Near, So Far, and uh, oh, Joshua right. are are Herbie, Ron, and Tony. Herbie, George Ron, Tony. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So I don't, yeah, I don't know. And this is the same year as My Funny Valentine, Four and More Concert. Yeah. Uh, 63. I, yeah, I, I think, yeah, I just don't know this record that well. I don't know why. I just know, I, I, I mean, know mostly Tony. know Joshua and Seven Steps to Heaven from yeah. having to learn them. But man, hearing an 18-year-old Tony Williams lay into the ride when the solo starts there, yeah. it gives me goosebumps every time. Because oh. you just hear... First of all, there's a lot of drummers in Brooklyn that owe him a check today. Oh, I know. <laughs> like, like right now. Like right now for copying his stuff. Because that straighter, super even yeah. eighth note ride is so, for me, it feels like just a warm blanket. And mm. I know it's not the most like overtly, like there's a hump in the swing kind of thing. Oh, I think it's swinging. It's intellectual. Hard. A- AF. Yeah. That I know that I know how can an eighth note ride cymbal pattern be intellectual, but there's something very heady about that ride cymbal pattern. I agree. It takes a really smart artist to do what he's doing here. And he lays this air over every track that he he digs in on like that, that I think is for me uh, so influential rhythmically. That was what's the thing that makes Tony Williams, in my opinion, a unicorn pocket. Absolutely. Absolutely. So. That was a great choice. I was thinking, you know what? Elvin would have been the obvious choice, but Elvin. Tony's great because in, in I mean, and that's why they're kind of of this these years. I mean, you think about the recordings that came out, sixty three, sixty four, sixty five, I mean and beyond. Honestly both of them did. I mean Elvin, Wayne, Herbie, and McCoy all could have been yeah. they're all unicorn pockets. And yeah. there's a reason they're and chick. I mean, there's so yeah. many from the sixties that could have made it. But maybe Tony's even a more impressive because he's eighteen. <laughs> <laughs> that's hard to be a unicorn it's hard for your spirit to pierce the sky when you're only 18 years old <laughs> that's right that's spirit to pierce the sky okay so 
you can have a unicorn pocket, and I know we're primarily a jazz podcast, but I hate jazz now, so I'm I'm ready for something new. We're I past wanted, the '60s. <laughs> I wanted to represent, a, like, for each decade, I wanted to not just represent like great pockets, but also like people who kind of defined some section of music yeah. in that decade. And there's obviously lots of different kinds of music in every decade. Our next choice is the bass player on this track. Mm. And this to me, I, this is from the 70s. This is 1976. Jaco Pastorius. See, this is what you would think. <laughs> I went through, actually, there was a ton of bass players we could have picked. Yeah. Jaco, Paul Jackson. Ooh. Uh, but I picked this guy. Okay. They say the bigger the headache, the bigger the pill, baby. Uh, call me the big pill. Dr. Funkenstein, the disco king with the monster sound. The cool goo with the bum transplant. Hip bone connected to my thigh bone. My thigh bone connected to my leg bone. My leg mm. bone connected to my ankle bone. I get so hung up on bones. Uh, Dr. Funkenstein here. Preoccupied and dedicated to the preservation of the motion of the hips. Come on now. That's awesome. So this is, of course, the great Bootsy Collins. Bootsy. One of the greatest musicians who ever lived. Shout out, by the way, to Bernie Worrell playing keys oh, on that Bernie track. Man, Man, I love Bernie Worrell so much. Man, Bernie on the keys, on the Ooh, organ. On oh, the, oh, sick. But I wanted to pick someone that, to me... You know, like I said, I went, you you think 70s, especially with, we were talking about jazz, you think Jocko, you might think Herbie, you might think Mike Clark and Paul Jackson with mm. the Headhunters, yeah. right? But all of those guys were influenced by Bootsy Collins. Oh, absolutely. Bootsy, and I, and I, it was hard to pick which Bootsy track to play with. I went, yeah. I went with this one because it was so funky. Yeah. But all the James Brown stuff, Sex Machine, yeah. you know, like that entire- Young Bootsy, Young Bootsy. Young Bootsy in the late 60s, early 70s with James Brown, but then with Parliament Funkadelic and his own band yeah. and influential beyond, of course, jazz, because he wasn't a jazz musician, he was a funk musician, but everybody from- Jocko to uh, to Herbie to Miles to Joni Mitchell to oh, yeah. people in pop music to David Bowie, you know, like yeah. influenced by Bootsy Collins. To me, there was no more influential musician or it'd be hard pressed to find a more influential musician in the 70s than Bootsy. I mean, he was everywhere and he was a complete unicorn in not just I mean, obviously in the sound and the groove. But as a personality, I mean, as an entertainer, as a rock star, he is... Really? I never noticed him on stage. He was always kind of blending into the background, I mean, He's right? a bit of a wallflower. <laughs> he's a bit of a wallflower. <laughs> no, but he, to me, uh, he epitomizes the 70s, uh, the funk groove. And I mean, these are things, too, that it's not just like funk, but his grooves yeah. would influence, you know, things like... like Branford's bands in the 80s. Oh, and, yeah. And Ken Roy Garrett, Layla, Layla, Roy Hargrove. Uh, Christian McBride. Everybody and, after yeah. him. He lives up just like Ray Brown did in the 50s. I think Bootsy is to the 70s. Yeah, yeah I agree. I agree. And um, I think that, yeah, he's he's probably, you know, nearly if not uh, in, in his own way, just as influential of a bassist on the current generation For as sure. a Ray Brown or something. Certainly you'd look at somebody like, you know, Christian McBride and... Um, yeah, I mean, have you seen him live before? Yes, yeah, it's incredible. It's, oh, it's, it's, he's so he's like eight so, feet tall. Yeah, he's one hundred and fifteen pounds. Yeah, he's like, and he's just so skilled and can play for just hours and hours, stuck in that kind of groove. There, yeah. I would just throw in there too. You know, somebody who definitely he influenced, which was George Porter Jr. 
bass player of the meters not as well known but george porter also very i mean the meters are such a like kind of insiders i mean they're not that insiders because no i know what you mean the hipsters though. found it but, but the individual <laughs> players in the meters are insiders for they're sure. a little bit insiders yeah. but they were hugely uh influential on jazz musicians and funk musicians and then like through stevie wonder they they were hugely influential on stevie in the mid 70s yeah in a way that stevie's always talked about but a lot of people haven't picked up on but there's a definite bootsy uh george porter connection there yeah, that was Parliament, that was Dr. Funkenstein, that was Bootsy Collins on the bass. Stevie Wonder easily could have made this list as well as, as someone with oh, yeah. a unicorn pocket, but he's kind of just a unicorn everything. He's a unicorn <laughs> pocket, unicorn harmony, yeah. unicorn melody, unicorn vocalist, lyricist, lyricist everything. Yeah. Yeah. So one thing with uh, Bootsy and with Bernie Worrell and, and uh, George Porter and all them, that, that great gang, was that um, if you get a chance, anybody of our dear listeners, are they still our dear listeners? Uh, it's kind of creepy. I, I love I love our <laughs> listeners. Sue me, because I love our listeners. No, but if you guys get a chance to go to the National African American Museum at the Smithsonian yeah. in, in our capital, don't go today or tomorrow because it's locked down. Yeah, you, you ain't getting chill. close Just to chill it. Chill for a minute. <laughs> chill for a minute. Have you been to that museum? The the no man. It's I, relatively new. You know, every time I've ever been in D.C., I'm like in and out on gigs, and I have no time to go do any of the sites. And that's the one city I want to have time to go do the sites in. Yeah, no, no, it's you great, know? and that the museum is great. But they actually have the mothership as no part of the. Way. I'm serious. They oh have it as part God. of the exhibit. It's sitting right. Like Woo! I mean, the, the museum is huge and it's incredible and it covers the the african-american experience in in such a, a deep way on so many different levels i mean it has an entire train car in it on the first floor and just a lot oh of stuff but there's a whole room that's specifically about music it's got like it has uh herbie hancock's rocket microphone like the sure microphone that he recorded oh, you know so just little dope. interesting little art because you know it's a museum it's not just about yeah you know it's like showing through artifacts and so how do you show this era of you know funk music how does it get better? And it's huge. I yeah. mean, it's like the one from one of the ones from the stage. Thank you to all the nerds at the Smithsonian <laughs> for collecting and and, or, and documenting everything on American history. It's yeah, awesome. No, it's and um, Lonnie. Big shout out to Lonnie Bunch, Doctor Lonnie Bunch. Mm. I believe. I hope I'm not messing up his name. I think that's him. Who was really the force and was like. I think he's still. Oh no, he was the original director of the museum. Oh yeah, yeah. And now he's actually become, I believe, the head of the whole Smithsonian. He got promoted. Yeah. But um, I think I saw a profile on him actually just a few weeks ago on one of those like NPR. CBS yeah. Sunday morning things or yes, something. Yes, that yeah. would be it. Uh, but I actually got to be, I was part of a private tour with just like 10 people that he led. And I didn't know who he was. This well, was look like at right you. A, I was part I know, of a was, private it, tour. It was, this it, was, it was kind of a fancy thing. Uh -huh. I, I mm -hmm. slipped in Were you on. with Obama or something? <laughs> well, <laughs> George Clooney? <laughs> Wait, who you? No, no, no. It was just, I slipped in and I didn't slip in, but I was part of a group. We were playing at the Kennedy Center and they wanted to oh, were you? come over and see it. Yeah, sorry. Okay. <laughs> anyway. I was playing. So with Chappelle, oh cool. <laughs> <laughs> I was helping him. I was honoring him. Come on, honoring my brother. Oh my no, God. but Lonnie Bunch did the tour for us, and he was so unassuming. But like as he's showing us around, I'm like, man, this guy really knows all about. And then I start like listening to his stories, and um, man, this guy really knows what he's talking. He's about. He's really he knows, and he knows every. You know, usually like a docent or yeah. something would know one room or the other. I was like, he knows every room and like the origins. Wow. And, uh, but it was the, such an honor to be why on a security guard <laughs> saluting him. That's weird. <laughs> it was it was truly an honor. <laughs> All right, so uh, we'll move on to the '80s next. What do you think about the unicorn pockets? Man, I'm digging the blue. Uh, now I can't wait for each decade to roll by. Unlike my life, when I'm so, getting scared as the decades roll by. So before I do my '80s unicorn pocket, I'm curious if you just top of your head and yeah. there's no pressure. Who's your '80s unicorn pocket? 
Oh, 80s. It's a tough one, right? It is. Well, you've got me think. It's funny because like Tony Williams, I feel like could all, cause I, I heard, know, could be the I first heard him in the 80s I know, live, you know, I know. I was, and I was like, so, um, okay. And it could be Boots. Boots, it could have yeah. been the 80s as well. But no, so I picked the decade where I think most of these people came to their, Ooh, their, I, I their got, pocket was like in the foreground. You yeah. know what I'm saying? I mean, Jeff Watts. That was that was a big one. That was like second place on my list. That yeah. was that was a huge. Are one. we doing too many drummers? Oh no, we're not. We'll see that. Good. I, I wanted to, but I also wanted to switch up the vibe a little bit because there are so many different kinds of pockets. Right. And I bet you so don't many... have a cellist on this list. I don't have a cellist on this <laughs> list. Actually, I could. Bjorn Ranheim. Big, big shout out to Casals, Pablo. Um, Keep I want stringing. I wanted to switch up the vibe a little bit for these next two. Actually, are a little okay. bit. They're a little bit different kinds of pockets, but okay. they are still rhythmically super influential. I'm not going to even tell you this one because I think you're going to get it. Okay. This is from 1982. You ready? 1982. And the yeah. unicorn pocket on this is the guitarist. Ooh. Okay. killing is that oh it's killing i think the same orchestrator from bird on strings orchestrated that triangle though <laughs> wow maybe it's just my headphones here so that pat metheny pat metheny right. i want to get to the solo though okay oh, it's, it's oh. oh i remember this record this is pat metheny james yeah yeah Again, it's so easy to take for granted 
that because so many people now sound like that, yeah. that there was a time where people didn't sound like that and Pat Metheny came along and sounded like that and now so many guitarists sound like that and yes. phrase like that and yeah. have that similar sound. But that rhythmic feel, I think... He was such an innovator. And I mean, we think about him as a melodic player. Right, right. But melody is part rhythm. And he has a very unique sense of the pocket, a yeah. very unicorn pocket. And I, I mean, I think that, yeah, he's such a melodic player. And, um, but, you know, rhythm, it's almost like it's the sort of pattern manifestation mm. of what creates a great melody is that rhythmic feel. Mm. You know, without that, especially in, with any kind of music that has a groove and i know all music does have a groove but we're talking about something that's like either kind of like a backbeat or a swing or like something i think the stronger or more overt the groove is the more you know the the more a great melodist melodist you know somebody who can create wonderful melodies keep going somebody named melody perhaps (laughs) i don't know a unicorn i want my spear to touch the sky that's on pierce the sky um but the more important it is to have that pocket you know and even like when we were talking about you had a couple bass players some great bass players but that's i mean those are great melodic players too oh for sure ray Ray brown Brown, yeah bootsy beautiful melodic very 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 melodic playing so it's that intersection it, it all fits well, together. Tony Williams, too, I would put as a melodic oh, player. Oh, yeah, Big absolutely. Time. I mean, yeah. the way that his drums are tuned, the precision. But, man, I, I, I love Pat Metheny so much. We haven't given Pat enough love on here. But I he's, know. He's I love Pat. so influential on me as a musician. First of all, just as just like Bootsy, just like Tony, as someone who's who's willing to just step up and be themselves yes. and play their own music the way yeah. they like to. And I think, too, with Pat, because he's so laid back as a person and mm. like the way he dresses and looks on stage and his that's hair his vibe, is, man. He's from Missouri here. You know exactly. I mean? yeah. He's just a plain looking dude. But it's like you, he, he has such an effortless kind of mastery of sure. his instrument. For sure. oh I mean, he's God. a virtuoso, obviously. Yeah, obviously. But there's these kind of things that are so important. I mean, he wouldn't be, we wouldn't be talking about him and he wouldn't be revered like he is had he not does, had he not had that kind of rhythmic, feel and precision and pocket playing and when you really start to analyze it you're like well like when he wasn't this double time like that's very pat yeah like very pat and way those of triplets that oh he was doing God. yeah great stuff. those triplets in the groups of four and five yeah. were very much him and uh shout out to lyle mays who we lost this year yes yes uh, one, on of the, the one of the giants we lost wow. and amazing uh just 2020 a painter on the keys yep. really truly uh, that's An incredible pianist, dude. Incredible pianist. Yeah. That's the Pat Metheny Group off-ramp. That's James from 1982. And ECM, right? ECM. Go Ooh. check it out. That's one of the great records of Hope the early 80s. Hope it'll get 80s. dinged on this podcast. We did just, we did just enough. Okay. okay. I'm not going to tell you this next one either. <laughs> okay. Not, what are we on, the 90s? We're in the 90s. I remember the 90s. Ni- you probably don't remember the 90s I do. Well, and barely. I picked the 90s that was important to me. This person is- Kid and Play? Can, okay, nice. This part, this is <laughs> late unicorns? late nineties, ninety eight. Okay, so it's towards the late part of the nineties. Now this is someone, we're getting close to Y two K here. I know. What you know about that? We can, yeah. Well, I almost made a bad joke, but uh, <laughs> this is this is someone who who's was so influential that there was almost a little backlash against them. This is the pianist on this record. Okay.
got you up here? That's Brad Meldow. It is Brad. That Meldau. is Brad and, and Larry Grenadier and, and Jorge Rossi. Shout out to Larry Grenadier, by yeah. the way. Can a sound be that big? I know, I know. And I'm almost like, the way they have this mixed, it's almost a little boomy, but he still transcends that, I think. It's live at the Vanguard, buddy. Yeah. So, I, you know, I think Brad Meldow, again, kind of like Pat Metheny, where you think melody with Brad, for me, I always, the first thing that comes to mind is this great, amazing harmonic sensibility. Yeah. But he definitely has a very distinctive rhythmic pocket. Yes. And, and very di- distinct ways of phrasing all those, like, like those short endings of yeah. phrase. Yeah, that has been aped beyond repair. Oh my god! <laughs> Going to any little jazz club oh in southern Germany right dude, now, you're it's just all that. Right that. Like, and yeah. there's a, again a lot of very famous younger musicians that yes. can't owe their sound to this particular, especially this, name names, name names. I won't. They're <laughs> friends of the podcast, and and some of them are on the podcast. <laughs> but uh, but there but this this era, especially when Brad was uh, playing these these Art of the Trio records with yes. Larry and Jorge. His phrasing, phrasing here was super influential on players who were about my age, to be honest. Yes. Yeah, um, yeah and I mean, I think that that Brad, um, I think you hit the nail on the head with the his rhythmic unicornness mm. emanates from his phrasing. Yeah. You know, I think everybody that you've picked does to a certain degree, but there there's different gradients of like where it kind of comes from and why. And I think that that, is is one aspect of his playing that's super unique and really informs his that kind of rhythmic intensity mm. especially like you hear it on something like this very intimate sounding recording i mean all this stuff that he did at the vanguard i remember hearing this trio live at the vanguard during this time which was a lot of fun yeah um but they you know he's always on the verge of going to a couple of different times but also plays loose enough within each of those times you talk about like the kind of triplet feel the double time feel right within the eighth note kind of lay he's the ability to lay back or to push through or almost go like out of time usually comes from a place of like so much pocketness that you can do that yeah. not the other way around you know yeah yeah and i think brad's always been really good at that i never like listen to these records like you did coming up uh, because I was out there with Brad, you were doing stuff them. at this point. Yeah, but no, but I, but I, I just heard him more. Like, I mean, I did listen to him, but it wasn't like I, I think it's always fun. And it wasn't just when I was younger. Like, there's been stuff more recently. Like when you grab hold of certain records, it could yeah. be. It's never time to listen to everything, which is great. Like everybody now wants to try to be an expert on everything, and you shouldn't be. Yeah. You should have those special things. But it's cool for somebody like this because I can tell you the way that he played live and still does is just with that same kind of verve and vibe that, that he brings to this. Well, and you can imagine, you know, being a 15 or 16-year-old trying to figure out the piano, yes. trying to figure out jazz and what people are doing. Yeah. And I'm, you know, at this point, I'm super into Herbie. And, uh, nothing's changed, really. Yeah. But Herbie and, Nichols and or Herbie Hancock? Herbie Nichols yeah. and Oscar Pettiford. No, uh, <laughs> but, uh, but I heard this and I was like, what is happening? Yeah. You know what I mean? I just, it, like, you already knew what was happening by the time you, but well, I was no, like, I mean, but, I was but to figure it out. as a 15 year old musician, you're trying to figure out what is he, how is he feeling that? You yeah. Know? Yeah. Yeah. And that to me is the mark of a unicorn pocket. And I'm still such a sucker for it, man. Brad, you can, you can do whatever you want. You can gaze at your shoes. <laughs> well, well, I'll you know, buy it. I'll buy it every time, Brad. The other thing is, I kind of, I heard the, in real, in somewhat real time, that kind of evolution, you know, like all of us, the natural evolution of young Brad Mellick. When I first saw him play, and I want to say we're maybe exactly the same age. You're around the same age. Yeah, I mean, you guys were doing the same things with some of the same bands. You replaced yeah. him in Josh Joshua Redman's band, right? Right, exactly. Yeah. Okay, wow. 
so he we are five days apart. Oh my god, 1970. Holy cow, I didn't realize we were that close. So, but I remember the first time I heard him play. I mean, maybe I'd heard, I don't think I'd heard him on any recordings before. This was with Chris Holiday, Christopher Holiday. Remember that guy? No, you don't. Nobody remembers him. Why well, remember him? Christopher Holiday's was was a young phenom alto player. It sounds really familiar. Yeah, I mean, like he was the bee's knees, as we would say back in the day. Like yeah, everybody, yeah. he had a big record contract on RCA right before yeah. Roy Hargrove. Okay, this sounds, this sounds familiar. And Brad was playing with him. And I, I mean, I want to say, did Brad go to the new school? Yeah. Okay, so yeah. Cause I I'm, know, because that's why I went to the school. Yeah, and I think I might have met him when I met Larry Goldings when I first went up to Juilliard. But I don't think Brad was there yet. Larry Goldings was born two days after you. <laughs> no, no, he was. Larry's maybe a couple years old, but Larry Goldings was like the. Yeah, Brad wasn't there because Larry Goldings was the dude. Because I used to go down there. Yeah. It was the very first year that the new school had a jazz program. Sure. Arnie Lawrence was yeah. the director. And my friend Mike Wilner, Spike Wilner, Spike Wilner. was go was in that first class. Come and, on now. And he's like, You gotta meet my friend Larry Goldings. He's great. I'm like, Larry Goldrings? Who's that? No, Goldings. And Larry had an apartment on Fifth Avenue down in the village. Yeah. With like a balcony. I was like, Man, this dude's Damn. baller. Wow. And then he could just play. Everybody was like, Larry. Yeah. yeah, but Brad wasn't there yet. Um By the way, Larry Goldings may be the best jazz Instagram follower. You're really good. Uh, <laughs> You're a good Instagram follow. But Larry Goldings, oh, Larry Goldings is, is one of the smartest, wittiest. Amazing Instagram yeah. follower. Yeah. Catch him on the gram. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, yeah. Uh but but yeah, no. So I heard Brad Brad play with Christopher Holiday at the Saratoga Jazz Festival. This must have been like ninety uh, two, I think. Wow. Because I was playing with, yeah, I was playing with Jazz Future. So you guys were young. Jazz, yeah, 22 we were year young. old Peter, 22 year old. 21 probably, actually. 21 year old yeah. Peter and Brad. Yeah. Wow. But he was just like straight bebop, you know, yeah. just. So, you know what's funny is, is just for our listeners out there, like I, I've talked to so many musicians who don't play straight bebop, who play out stuff, yeah. or very modern stuff. Every one of them, including you, went through, including me, including Brad, went through a straight bebop phase. Just yeah. for all our young musicians out there, just oh, yeah. consider that. Oh, yeah. Come on. That's so, how it goes. Uh, so our next are 2000s, which obviously Brad could have spilled into the yeah. 2000s. That's good of Pat Metheny, actually. Yeah. That's uh, good of Ray Brown. That's good of Ray Brown, yeah. <laughs> Tony Williams. Uh, but our next well, one, I think, I mean, talk about, this is this is a straight up as, maybe Bootsy is as much of a pocket as this guy when you think of pocket. Okay. This is a hip hop producer named Jay Dilla, uh, mm. who has become one of the most influential musicians ever. Yeah. Um, and he actually tragically died when he was 32 in 2006, but he worked with uh, a ton, ton, ton of amazing, not just hip-hop musicians, but jazz musicians and uh, neo-soul musicians. And his pocket, the way he structured grooves on drum machines and computers yeah. has been now so influential amongst musicians who play live instruments yeah like chris dave like our friend oh, mark yeah. kolenberg who oh, yeah. who is a student of his really um kareem riggins you yeah. know like uh d'angelo all of these people you know worked with him at some point or were influenced by him and learned from him and it has now become just part of the fabric of the sound that you hear now with especially young musicians who play groove music uh and there's a whole he he has spawned a whole 
uh, genre yeah. called lo-fi hip-hop. I don't know yeah. if you know anything about that. No, I, I, I know it. I, I keep seeing that character on YouTube where the you can watch it for four hours For four straight. hours. <laughs> and the, like any like all of these, there's a lot of cheap imitations. And yeah. you're like, oh, yeah, that just sounds like lo-fi hip-hop. Just delay the snare drum. It's, it's Dilla style. But Dilla style, exactly. <laughs> Dilla is a style, but yeah. he was a man. <laughs> and he created his own feel, and it's it's quite a bit of magic. This is just from one of the many instrumental compilation albums. You know, he was he was prolific, and he had tons of tracks, and uh, you can check out a lot of his work. I mean, like worked a lot with Common again, D'Angelo. Yep. made his own albums, but this is just a little Slum sample, Village. old school Slum Village. And I think what what to listen here for with this track is listen to where each like where the snare drum lines up with the bass and where the bass lines up with yeah. the percussion where each thing lines up with itself it's not it's so unexpected it creates this hump it's the same thing as ray brown leaning on the front edge right it creates this tension in the groove a lot of the pockets here from bootsy kind of being on the back edge mm-hmm. a little bit you know and ray brown and brad meldow kind of being on the front edge mm-hmm. a little bit charlie parker being a little bit on the front edge it's the same thing here with with Jay Dilla. There's things on the front edge. There's things on the back end. Let's check it out. That warble, by the way, is intentional. Yeah. See, this is what I'm saying. When people say that electronic music can't be soulful or feel human. Or organic. Or organic. Yeah. It's just... This or gluten free shuts that down so easily because it's so has so much grit and earth and soul, and you can hear him actually playing the drum machine without, uh, without being uh, quantized, which is where you line it up on a grid. I mean, it's just a thing of beauty, and it's a it's a real honest to god unicorn pocket. Absolutely, and I mean, you really hear it, uh, especially with a collaborative artist like Jay Dilla, in terms of that's where. The unicornness can often kind of jump out. I mean, Tribe Called Quest and Common and like a lot of the tracks that he produced and collaborated on and really just created. Um, you hear his imprint, obviously, but then you hear some of the top level artists hitting their stride and and kind of being welcomed into his world and his rhythmic perception and where that intersects with the production. Yeah, because you can't really you can't separate Jay Dilla in terms of how he felt the groove and how he produced the track and, and how he played the track. It was all a beautiful part art. of one thing. Beautiful artists like, like yeah. all of these. And, you know, his, his influence is still being felt today. I mean, you can watch videos of people like Jacob Collier break down how to do that yeah. in live real time. And it's fascinating. Wait, Jacob Collier broke something down in, a, in like a mathematical way? That's crazy. That's <laughs> crazy. Well, and our next artist, so the 2010s is represented here by Snarky Puppies' Corey Henry. Who? Uh, Corey Henry. Did he, did he play a solo? A, a much a much unanalyzed solo by any chance? Oh, this solo needs no analysis, my friend. <laughs> oh, good. There's no need to do we it. We gave none. <laughs> Why don't you tell the story of our of our inf- now infamous? You can go on YouTube and watch us break down this solo, and then just read. Big the- shout out to YouTube. <laughs> 
Big shout out to the boys on YouTube, Adam and Peter. Uh, so that was we we didn't know what we were doing. We, no, we you know what we don't know anymore now. That's the funny thing. So we did an Are episode. We no, not right now. <laughs> we did an episode of this podcast many moons ago where we broke down the solo. It was like a couple of months ago. Actually. It was a couple months. Ago. <laughs> we broke down the solo from that we're about to play for you now from Lingus from a Snarky Puppy record. <laughs> but we made the 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 fatal error. Well, not fatal because we are alive, but uh, uh, barely alive. We we got a little brush back. I don't know if you remember. <laughs> we got a lot of brush back. But we made the the fatal error of titling it something like solo analysis. So we didn't. We titled it solo analysis, and there was no analysis. It was literally just us reacting, being like, "Woo!" <laughs> so that's fair enough. Fair, fair enough, enough. Fair enough. But also, people can be mean. Exactly. Yeah. Uh, this is Corey Henry. The memes. The memes. The memes. <laughs> this is in Snarky Puppy's uh, Lingus, his now famous solo. By the way, a lot of Jay Dilla influence in this solo. Yes, with that uh, band. Uh, this whole band. And uh, so to me, uh, I'll pause it here because uh, maybe we can go out on this solo, Peter. Okay. What do you think? Yeah. But let's, let's give this solo a little bit of publicity because folks haven't got a chance to hear this one yet. <laughs> so everybody knows this solo. Yeah. But to me, this defines you know the 2010s. This is one of the, the unicorn pockets. Corey Henry came on the scene and really lit it on fire. 2014 was when this was released. And their video, of course, blew up. And it's all about his rhythmic pocket on this. There's not a lot, I think, harmonically or melodically that that Chick Corea didn't hasn't done, or right. Herbie hasn't done, or Brad Meldo hasn't done. But it's with Corey's very beautiful, very again organic and personal pocket here that makes this so damn. Special. But I'm very interested to see, and we got a couple quick messages before we play this, but um, to see without the visuals because this is such a great video and watching Corey Henry. I mean, and it's the like band the members react. Yeah, yeah, but it's almost react. the opposite. It's not just shoegazing; it's like stargazing, yeah. right? He's like he's just he's he's into it. But it's such a great uh, corollary and connection with what he's playing. So it's be interesting to see if it holds up. I think it will. Without that, he's in a trance. So what are the messages before we? We're brought to you by Open Studio. This is an Open Studio oh, podcast. Did you know that? And production. And production. This is a a self produced podcast by the wonderful open studio open studio jazz go to openstudiojazz.com to become a member of our community our thriving global community um that is connected as we stay socially distanced uh through this great music and many many others that's right thanks everybody for listening yeah thanks this is snarky puppy and lingus we're going to try to pick it up right here at the solo oh we got to back it up just a little bit. yeah we got to hear all that stuff yeah back that thing up there it is. There it is. Now the analysis begins. You'll hear it, folks. You'll hear it. You'll hear it. <laughs> 